let us go ahead before we begin today and open with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for today and we thank you that your mercies are new today. We thank you that you, in the midst of our sins, are gracious to us. We thank you, God, that you show us in this psalm that it is through the very means of confession that you seek to heal us and you seek to transform us. Thank you, God, that you are loving and that you are good. And I pray that today as we go through that you would redeem for us the sense of confession and you would help us to walk away with a clearer understanding of why confession should be something that we come to because we know that we serve a good and loving God. Be with us today. Help me and help us. We ask this in your name we pray. Amen. I think we would be honest if we would agree that no matter who you are and no matter what age you are, saying the words that I was wrong is never easy to do. Whether it is against a coworker, maybe it's against a son or a daughter, perhaps it's against a loved one to come to the realization that we have messed up in some type of way is never easy to do. And yet, Today, David will show us that it is through confession that God heals and transforms. David wants to show us that though you and me despise confession and though it is something that we dread, that it is through confession that God seeks to heal and transform. We will see this in our scripture today as we will see David will give us a cry for mercy in verses 1 through 6. Then we will see that David will give us a cry for cleansing in verses 7 through 12. And then we will see the transformed cry of the redeemed in verses 13 through 19. And yet as we open Psalm 51, it is familiar to many of us. We understand that in the superscription that there is a context for which David writes to us in. We see that in the beginning in 2 Samuel chapter 11 that David has in fact just committed adultery. And we see that it's not, 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 it's not even that, but that David also has tried to hide the fact that he has slept with Bathsheba. It seems that David has gotten away with murder, that he's gotten away with adultery, and it seems as if David's gotten away with it. It seems as if David has been able to fool all of the Israelites as, as if he's been able to fool all of his friends, but yet we see that God sends the prophet Nathan to David. And in comes Nathan, and he tells David a story. He tells David a story that there were two men, and that with these two men, that there was one, there was a rich man, and then there was a poor man. And this rich man had many, many lambs, but yet there was this poor man that had one little lamb that he loved with all of his heart. And this intrigues David. It intrigues him because David is a shepherd, so he leans in and listens. And he says that one day, when the rich man had someone to come in, he entertained him by offering a lamb. The only issue is that David took this poor man's lamb and offered him up, and David is upset. He's angry because he says, this is wrong, and he says, this man deserves to die. And then it is upon David's own words 
Then Nathan turns to him and says, you are the man. David now realizes what it is that he has done. He realizes that he has sinned and now the murder and the adultery now hit David like a stack of bricks. And he cries out Psalm 51 verses 1 through 2. And look at what David says. He says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, he says, blot out my transgressions. David is in fact pleading for his very own life because David has committed two sins for which the sacrificial system provided no atonement for. For deliberate murder and adultery, death was the ultimate penalty. So when David pens these words and when the confession starts to come out, David is literally pleading for his life that God would spare him. Notice the type of God that David cries out to in verses 1 through 2. He describes him as steadfast. We understand this to mean God's loyal love, God's unfailing love, God's unfailing kindness. One commentator states about this, he says, the divine judgment that God confronts David with because of his sin is an act of compassion that aims not at destruction, but at rescue and new creation. How good is it, church, that when God confronts us in our sins, his aim is not to destroy, but his aim is to rescue us. It is to lead us to new creation. The commentator continues and he says, the God who judges is shown to be the God who saves. The God whom David confesses his most egregious sins to is a God that is merciful and is filled with compassion. Church, when you have sinned in the most horrendous ways, what kind of God do you imagine that you are praying to? Perhaps for you, it's not adultery. Perhaps for you, it is not murder. Perhaps it's anger. Perhaps it's, it's bitterness. Perhaps it's resentfulness. What? When you find yourself in your sins, what is the type of God that you imagine that you're praying to? Do you imagine that God in his throne room is loathing at the fact that you are yet again confessing your sins Is it hard for you to imagine that as you confess your sins, you are actually confessing your sins to a God that, as first one says, is abundant in mercy? Or as the NASB says, that according to the greatness of your compassion. A.W. Tozer reminds us that what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What you and me process in our brains and in our hearts, the type of God that we pray to, is the most important thing about us. Think about it like this. I remember as a kid, I used to love the Black Lagoon series. One excerpt from this book, it's about a boy who is scared of his new teacher. I know what this boy is feeling. He says... It's the first day of school, and I wonder who my teacher is. 
I hear Mr. Smith has dandruff and warts. And Mrs. Jones has a whip and a wig. But Mrs. Green is supposed to be a real monster. Oh my, I have her. Mrs. Green in room 109, what a bummer. I sit at my desk, I fold my hands, I close my eyes, I'm too young to die. In his nightmare, Mrs. Green is a monster with tail and smoke coming out of her nostrils. He is so happy when he wakes to see the real Mrs. Green that he gives her a hug. Church, when we come to God, we see that he is not a monster with smoke coming out of his nostrils. And he is not a God waiting to destroy us. But he is a God that knows our frame and he's filled with compassion. And notice that as David starts to confess that he recognizes that he's praying to a steadfast and loving God. Look, look at how now David continues in verses 1 through 2. He says, blot out my transgressions. Erase the record for what I have done. I remember when I was in elementary school and we would do our spelling test that the teacher would get out a thing that us 90s kids will remember called whiteout. And they would, they, she would put the whiteout on the piece of paper and, and you would see the, you know, minus four, minus three, and you would see the whiteout where your mistakes were blotted out. And so David pleads that God would blot out the transgressions for what he has done. It is in his cry for mercy as we see now, look at verses three through five. See how David now starts to recognize what it is that he has done. He says something very shocking in verse 4, does he not? He says, against you, and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Has not David sinned against Bathsheba? Has not David sinned against Uriah? Has he not in some type of way failed in his duties as a king to lead the people in the way of righteousness? And yet David says, God, it is against you and you only that I have sinned, that God is the most offended party in the transaction of David's sins. Notice how David doesn't skirt around what he has done, but he acknowledges, God, I have sinned. And so David shows us that when you and me come to the realization of our sins, that we are called not to make excuses, but we are called to be true to the things that we have done. Notice David says in verse 5, he says something again, something rather shocking. He says, behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. David acknowledges that there has been no golden era of David's life for which he can point to and say, that is where my righteousness flowed out. David says, no, even as I was an adorable child, sin has followed me everywhere I have gone. It has often been said that if sin was the color blue, we would all be Smurfs. (laughs) If sin was the color blue, you and I, Papa Smurf, Mama Smurf, all the Smurfs you can imagine, that would be us. We see David is telling us something that is not popular. He's telling us that your and my nature is broken, and that it's contaminated every part of us, even to the core of our very own being. 
Notice now in verse 6, as David continues to, to cry out for mercy, notice he says, Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. David says, Behold, I am a great sinner, but yet behold, you are yet still merciful. You instruct me. You teach me in the secret heart that I have. I think about this instruction. My aunt, she is an ESL teacher, and when she would teach, it was to her failing students that she would take time sometimes on Mondays or Wednesdays, and she would go to her failing students' house, and she'd meet with them. She would instruct them. The, the failing students were instructed. My aunt would spend a little bit more time with them. And notice what David says, even in my most egregious sins, God, you don't cast me off, but you instruct me. You, you teach me. And what is it in verse 6 that, that David shows us that God teaches him? God teaches him that it is through confession and repentance that David can truly be healed. Because prior to this, we don't get any, any clues in 2 Samuel that David is bothered by his sin. In fact, we see all through 2 Samuel that prior to Nathan coming, David is trying to hide. And so David says that, God, you teach me, you instruct me that it is through confession that God begins to heal us. The NIV application commentary helps us greatly as we look into this word um, secret in verse 6. This word secret, normally throughout Scripture in the Old Testament, it's used to describe the secret places where water was stored for uh, another party. So we see this, for example, in 2 Kings, whenever another army would want to go and to take out another army, they would go to that secret place where the other army was keeping their water, and they would plug it up. That way, the um, city would not be able to have running water go into the city. The commentator says this, listen, he says, God seeks to open and access those parts of our lives that we have chosen to keep deeply hidden within our inner world. The psalmist unplugs the inner barriers and allows the streams of honest self-reflection and self-revelation to flow again. It is this transparency that God desires and that in the end leads to the restoration of joy and God's salvation. So church, it is in those places, in those secret places that you and me do not like to talk about, that we don't want to talk about in small group, that perhaps we don't want to talk about with those closest. David says, it is in that very place where I want to plug up and be secret that it is God shows it's through confession that he begins to heal us. And we would be wise if we, like David, would allow God to begin to heal the secret hidden areas of our heart that are so infected with sin. So we leave this section and we see that David has been crying out for mercy and that he believes that he, in fact, prays to a merciful God. Now look with me in verses 7 through 12 as we go to our next, into our next section, and we see now David's cry for cleansing. In David's confession, now look at verse 7. He says, David not only wants to be healed, he not only wants to be forgiven, but David wants to be cleansed. Notice he says in verse 7, he says, purge me with hyssop. 
and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. It is in the Old Testament sacrificial system that it was the hyssop branch that the priest would use for somebody that would come into contact either with a dead body or a leper. So David is asking that he would be cleansed, that he would be washed, that he now sees the sins for which he has committed and asks that God would literally drench him within the hyssop branch and that God would cleanse him. How many of us in our culture today See, in our cancel culture, that we don't really believe in the cleansing nature of anything, do we? In an age where people look up past social media posts and leave people on the line that they will never be cleansed from their sins, you and me know what it is like to have our sins aired out as the dirty laundry that it is, but yet to be asking, how can I be cleansed? And just like David, he shows us that this cleansing can only be brought forth through confession. Notice in verse 8, David says, let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. It's not that our sins should ultimately lead us to a place of despair. But it is the fact that because we are in a covenant relationship with God himself, that our sins should have an impact on us. Suppose you are like me, and you find yourself at the BMV, and God is testing your inner sanctification. <laughs> and you're there, and all of the blasphemous thoughts are coming, and you see that you are quite not as patient as you thought you were. And as you walk away, perhaps you say, Lord, I know that was bad, but perhaps that just, that, that, that just loses you. And you say, okay, God, that's the BMV. That is, that's a special place. <laughs> or, or, or perhaps you, like me, are driving, and you see that God, again, is wanting to work on the inner sanctification of your heart, and you see drivers, and you aren't praying for them, but other things are going through your mind. And you say, no, Lord, that is just a special person. We, God, we're going to write that one off. But perhaps you go home and you lose your patience with your spouse or, or, or you lose your patience with your child. Now you realize, man, like I've, I've now sinned against the person I love. I, I lost my temper. It's not just someone at the BMV. It's not just somebody in traffic. Now it is somebody that you love and what David is showing us is the closer we are in relation to somebody, the closer that our sins affect us. And David is saying, my bones are broken because the one whom I love most, the one who is my love, I have sinned against him. David begins to show us in verses 10 through 12 that it, confession not only heals us, but transforms us. Notice that David says, God, you must create in me a clean heart. David is saying that our very own hearts trick us. Our very own hearts lead us to do things that we think are good. But as Proverbs 14, 12 shows us, there is a way that seems right to man, but its end is to death. David shows us that if you and me truly want to change, that God must change our hearts. 
The type of change that God will make in us through our confession church is the type of change similar to a caterpillar. Just as the caterpillar gradually develops through time into a magnificent butterfly, God will transform us in those secret areas of our life so that way we can learn to not sin against him. And notice what David says in verses 11 through 12. So many of us know what this is like when David says, cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. David is saying, God, the sins that I have done, I have literally forgotten the joy of what is awaiting for me. My sins have so closed my mouth and the guilt that now weighs upon me is so heavy that I have forgotten the joy of the salvation. And he asks that God would restore this to him. David has shown us that it is through confession that God seeks to not only heal us, but he seeks to transform us. He seeks in our confession for us to realize that there's something wrong with us, but that in God leading us into confession, his aim is not to destroy, but it is to heal. And now, as we've seen, David has cried out for forgiveness. He's cried out for cleansing. Now David shows us as we move to our third point, that there is a transformed cry of the redeemed. This is now where the psalm picks up. And in my study, as I looked at verse 13, I saw that though Psalm 51 can be hard at times, Psalm 51 is in fact joyous because of what verse 13 says. Look with me here. He says, then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. David is expectant that God is going to cleanse him. David is expecting that God is going to change him. And what David says in verse 13 is he says, God, when you cleanse me, when you have mercy upon me, God, what I am going to do is I'm going to take the work that you have so done in my life and I am going to use it as a testimony to others to tell them of the graciousness of my God towards the worst sins of my life. Church, you and me have a story to tell others of how God, through confession, is healing us and transforming us and making us into the image of Christ. We are called to tell sinners and wayward sinners about the God of Exodus 34, 6 through 7. Sinners need to hear that the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin. This is the God that sinners need to hear of. Sinners need to hear the ways that through your confession, God is healing you and transforming you. David wants to tell us now in our section, he wants to tell us three things that you and I are called to teach others about God, about what he does through our confession of sin and how he heals and transforms. The first thing that you and me are called to teach sinners is that God removes the guilt of his children 
through confession. Look at what David says in verses 14 through 15. He says, deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God. O God of my salvation and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open up my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. Is not the worst part of our sins, church, the guilt that you and me so feel? It was so weird this morning as I got up and as I was getting ready, praying, trying to get ready, it was as if the devil himself gave me a point-by-point resume list of all the sins I have ever done. And I thought, how am I going to come here and tell them about what God's doing in me when the list stands against me and speaks? And yet what David says is that you and me through the gospel are able to tell other sinners like us that God takes that guilt and removes it. Brothers and sisters, the sins that God is currently forgiving you of is supposed to be a poster for those around you that God is the type of God that takes our sins that speak so loud And we are to say God has silenced them. He removes our guilt through our confession. This is the first thing that you and me are called to teach sinners is that God is the type of God that removes our guilt through confession. The second thing that you and me are called to teach other sinners like us is that God, through our confession, not only heals us, but transforms our hearts and makes our hearts sensitive to sin. Notice David says, for you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with the burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken and contrite heart. And what, God, and what David says is that it is through confession, God, that you change us. That true and lasting change you actually do. I remember in our household many, many times whenever my sister would be annoying in the way that only she can be, my mother would say these words. She'd say, Matthew Frank Magumia. And when those words came, I knew I was in trouble. And she would say, Matthew, you say sorry to your sister right now. And I'd say, I'm sorry. And she'd say, no, 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 Matt, I want you when you say it. I want the words that come out of your mouth, I want it to match your heart. And so my mom, like all good mothers, was trying to get at, Matt, I don't want lip service. I want true heart change. And what David is saying is that it is through confession that we can tell other sinners that God doesn't just leave us as we are, but that God through time actually changes you and me So that we do not just have beautiful lip service, but that we can actually change. Husbands, you should be meeting with other husbands and youth within our church. And you should be talking about how over the years God has been changing you. He has been changing you that today you are more of the husband, closer as Christ is, and how God has been healing you. Husbands, this should be something that people should know. Students, I know that you are worried that if I get real about my sin, if I really expose, if I, if I tell my youth leader, if I tell my parents, oh man, I'm going to be exposed. But what David says is that it is through confession 
that God is changing you. Students, you would be surprised how many of the other students that sit with you feel the same way, that are worried, that are worried that like, I struggle with this, but it may be the very thing that you say that says, hey, I, I struggle with that too. In fact, church, one of our very own core values that we have at the back is that you and me would be a loving community of people, that when we walk into this room, we come in as a broken but yet redeemed community of people who are talking about the ways that God is changing us, that we don't meet one another in judgment, but we meet one another in the sense that God's working on you. He's working on me. He's working on my anger. He's working on my judgment. That God, through our confession, is changing us. C.S. Lewis says, friendship is born at the moment when one man says to another, what? You too? I thought, no one but myself. Church, it may be in the sins that you and me confess to one another that you see some of the best friends that you may ever have because it is in the community that God is changing you that you see, oh, these people aren't my enemies. These are the brothers and sisters who I'm walking through life with, who are hearing the worst things about me and are meeting me with love, who are meeting with, the, with discipline, not to shame, but to change. One commentator states, this psalm is the richest answer to prayer since it has shown the generation of sinners the way home long after they have thought themselves beyond restoration. David closes verses 18 through 19, and he says, Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in right sacrifices and burnt offerings. And David says, God, build up your people. And the commentator says, this has been the psalm that so many have run to over the ages to see that God is, in fact, merciful. And so it is in verse 19 where we ask the question, what is the sacrifice for you and for me that God delights in? What is the blood that truly cleanses you and me? The question is, how does God truly be merciful to the guilty? And we see that it is in the coming of the gospel that God removes our guilt, not through the shedding of the blood of bulls and goats, but it is the shedding of the blood of God's Son. Ultimately, the only reason why you and me even have a transformed cry is because God has ultimately cleansed us. Notice earlier in verses 30, in Exodus 34, we quoted that God is loving, that he's slow to anger, that he's abounding in steadfast love. But do you know that's not how that verse ends? That verse ends in this way. It says, but who will no means clear the guilty? Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. So how does God be merciful while at the same time visiting the iniquity upon the children's children? How does God cleanse you and me from all sin? How do we actually get our guilt removed? If you remember in verse 7, David asked that he would be purged with a hyssop branch. And it was in, again, the sacrificial system that the priest would take the hyssop branch and dip it in the sacrificial blood of the lamb. And what David is literally asking for is that he would be drenched in the blood of the sacrificial lamb. 
But as Hebrews will tell us, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away the sins. So what is the blood and how is it that God actually cleanses us? Well, the writer of Hebrews finishes and says, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than Abel. Spurgeon says it best. He says, give me the reality which legal ceremonies symbolize. Give me in your blood, Lord, the very thing that the sacrificial system was preparing the way for. And Spurgeon says, it is through that blood that you can give me an enduring purity. It is through the blood of the crucified Son of God that you and me have our record of debt, as Colossians says, that it has now been canceled in his blood. That the record, if you would go off as the psalmist says, if you were to count my sins, who could stand? But it is there in Jesus' blood that he speaks a better word than Abel. As we have seen all throughout Psalm 51, David has been saying, he's saying, God, be merciful to me. He's saying, God, cleanse me from my sin. And the gospel shows us that if you and me confess our sins and own up to the fact that there is a sin issue within me, that God in his son has shown us mercy, that God in his son has cleansed us, that God in his son has said, I will ultimately change you. And not just this temporal change, I will ultimately change your heart. That is what the gospel message is saying. An unbeliever for you today, I want to tell you that your performance will not wash away your sins. Your impressive resume of the things that you have will not blot out the transgressions and the sins that stand before you. The Bible is saying all throughout Genesis to Revelation in every single book, it is continually saying this, there was one person's blood who can wash away sin and his name is Jesus. So if you are here today, unbeliever, and you're saying, I recognize my sins, I see my sins, I know, though I don't like to talk about it, I know there is an issue and the gospel is saying, if you will but confess, and confess to a God who is a loving Savior. The Bible is saying, just as Pastor Eric said so wonderfully in his prayer, he is gentle and lowly in heart. God is the type of God that has been calling wayward sinners back to himself, that as the Apostle Paul will even say, that this is a trustworthy saying, worthy of full acceptance, that I am the foremost sinner, the worst of them all, and that God in his mercy has used me as an example so that other sinners like me would be able to say, if God can have mercy on a sinner like that, surely he will accept me. Church, the gospel shows us that confession is not something to dread. Though you and me dread it, though we, oh, we don't want to do it, that it is through confession that God seeks to heal us and transform us more into Christ's very own likeness. So let us leave here today knowing that when we sin, when we find ourselves in our sins, that we find not a God who is seeking to destroy, 
but a God who is seeking to instruct, a God who is seeking to make us more like him and who is dealing gently with us because of his unfailing kindness. Let us pray. Father God, I thank you that your mercy is new. I thank you, God, that the gospel shows us that we can't get around our sin, but that you witness to our sin, that you take care of our sin, and that you do this through confession. Lord, I pray that Psalm 51 would help us, that we would be a little faster to confess, that we'd be a little quicker to run to you and know that you are going to deal gently with us, that you will instruct us, that you will redeem us. And help us to see the beautiful sacrifice in your son, Lord, that it is only through his blood and it is through his sacrifice that speaks the better word and helps us to know that it is through his blood that he seeks to heal and transform. Be with us now, Lord, as we close in the song. We ask this in your son's name. Amen.